Hello, this is Mike Van Meter. Welcome to the Recovery is Possible podcast. I want to thank you for joining me. You can reach us at our Facebook site, which is also called Recovery is Possible, or our website, which is vanmeterwellnesssolutions.com. This podcast exists to educate the public about addiction, remove the stigma associated with addiction, and offer help and to support those suffering from addiction. So today's episode is sponsored by FHE Health, a substance abuse and mental health treatment center specializing in treatment for first responders' needs, including PTSD, anxiety, and substance use. Take the first steps to a better life today by visiting FHEHealth.com. That's FHEHealth.com. Hey, guys, I have um, someone from our favorite country that is not America, you know, here in America. That's my favorite country. But you know what? Next to that is Canada, and we have my new friend from Canada, and that's David Sinclair, who's going to be coming on and talking about some of the great work that he is doing up in Canada and actually across the world, as a matter of fact. And and he's going to talk about his experience uh, in recovery, his recovery journey, and the work that he's doing. And folks, I, I got to tell you, just in my own recovery journey, if you really have that awakening, if you have that uh, the, just the gratitude that comes along with getting any time of sobriety, it's really hard to keep that in because you really are so grateful that you were saved from a certain death, to be honest with you, certainly a miserable life. And you're so grateful of that, that you want to share it with other people. And it's not a selfish thing. It's you, know, you generally want other people to experience what you're experiencing. And I've had a chance to chat with Dave, and I can see that that's certainly the case with him. And he's just oozing with all kinds of uh, information that he wants to give out to, to help other people. So with that, we've got Dave Sinclair on uh, on the phone today, and he's joined us on the podcast. So Dave, thanks for joining the show. Yeah, thanks, Mike. I'm just super excited to be here. You know, I've listened to some of the podcasts. I've been following you here for a little bit and just really love the the work you're doing and everything that's going on here. Just oh, super excited to be here. Well, thank you. Well, tell us, uh, so how how is it that we came here today? Uh, tell us a bit about yourself and your journey, just so the listeners have a, a background uh, as to who you are and, and how you got into this field. Sure. It's a little bit of a loaded question, but I'm going to jump right into it and kind of I guess, bear my soul. Um, it's out there anyways. So uh, what brought me here to this very moment is is nothing but the gifts of everything that's happened in my life till now. Um, and when I take a look at it, you know, 10 years ago, if you would have told me that I'd be sitting here on a podcast talking about my journey in sobriety, my journey towards this wonderful life I'm living right now, and I'd be helping so many other people uh, with their journeys uh, towards sobriety. I, I tell you, you're crazy. Like 10 years ago, I was that guy from the outside, Mike. I I looked like I had it all. I had the, the fancy cars, the huge salary, all these things. Um, but there was something drastically missing. And that something was my peace of mind. You know, I was 70 pounds overweight. I was a mess. My family life was a mess. I was stressed out, drinking way too much. So what did I do? At that point, I was a part owner in a small multinational company. And hmm, let's say kind of irrationally at that point, or maybe the most rational decision I ever made is I decided to pull the pin. We had, uh, you know, I'd bought out another partner a few years previous and pulled the pin. Anyways, pulled the pin, sold my shares. And the day after I was no longer that email address that I so much identified with, that's when it really hit the fan and it was kind of like an existential brick wall me a, a, a train hitting an existential brick wall i was no longer this email address i was no longer 
know, this person I, I fully ran into, well, who the heck am I? And that kind of got a little bit further down the road to the point where I found myself drinking too much till the point about mm, almost nine years ago, nine years ago on the 20th of March, mm. I checked myself into a meaning and purpose-based uh, addictions rehabilitation facility. So that was in a nutshell, what kind of got me into recovery. And then from there, I started mm, started doing the real work, I guess you could say. And the real work, unbeknownst to me, was answering the question, well, who the hell are you, Dave? right? Who are you? You know, if you're not the business owner, who the heck are you? And uh, well, that work took me down uh, quite the rabbit hole. I did the work in the center and I continued to do the work after meeting with uh, my psychologist and doing that. And at one point, my psychologist was asking me, well, what do you really want, Dave? And I was just kind of sitting there lost and I didn't know and I felt alone. And she finally turned to me and she finally turned and I'll never forget these words. And I'm going to I'm going to temper them down here a little bit for the audience, but she turned to me, this, this little lady that really got me into kind of my path forward. She said, Dave, you know what? You're just not that effing unique. <laughs> I love and, that. Uh, yeah. And you're like, what? And she kind of said, yeah, I was, I was like, what? I said, you know, and so with one hand, she's kind of like smacking me upside the head. And the other hand, she's holding my hand. And she went on to say, Dave, you're, you're not the only one suffering. Okay. And that made those words there with all the work that I did at the center, seeing all these, it was a men's only facility I went to for treatment, seeing all these wonderful men and realizing that we're all trying to carry all the weight of the world on our shoulders. I realized that that had to change and it had to start with me. So fast forward nine years to where I am, you know, I, I had to reinvent myself. I went and took my my MBA, I took some coaching certifications, I took some certifications in exit planning, and ultimately it led me right back to where I found myself in that rehab facility is, is, is where I really help people answer the question, especially men, who are you if you're not this? And for a lot of these, it's helping those business owners and those executives answer that question, who am I? Who am I? What do I really want out of this world? And it doesn't have to be anything wild and crazy, Mike, Mm-mm. right? No. But what do I really want? So. Yeah, that's kind of, in a nutshell, that's the condensed journey of what got me here to this point where we're talking right now. Well, what is it? What do you do now in this? Oh, so yeah, yeah. So what I do now, um, uh, I work with. I guess ultimately, um, you can say I'm working with 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 men specifically. I still work with some women too as well, but mostly with men, helping them really take that step back, that step back that they never took. To take that step back and answer the question, well, who am I if I'm not? Okay. So coming back to that, what does that look like? Well, my best feeder source of clients that I get right now is out of a meaning and purpose addictions rehabilitation facility, right? I help these men as they go through this facility, men from all kinds of walks of life, from rock stars to business owners to to military, um, you know, firefighters, all these people just help support them to integrate We'll call it back into the wild, I guess. Like when you go away to a treatment facility, you're you're kind of in this bubble. So I help these people, these men mostly, help them with some post-treatment coaching to put a plan in place to follow through and do the work that they touched upon when they were away. Mm-hmm. Because you go away to these treatment facilities, you come back, it's like, oh man, now life's back here. So I work with guys like that through coaching. I run a couple of support groups and I'm also, you know, one of the key things that I'm doing, my main goal this year is to help 10,000 men really liberate themselves from the emotional prisons 
and become heroic leaders of change. So how am I doing that? Multiple ways, support groups. Uh, I've got a, a couple of things we can talk about later, but just really trying to reach as many men as possible. One-on-one -on -one group, um, you know, online courses, all these different things. You know, what I, what I really like about what you were saying is you and I have so much in common. And you were saying that you're, therapist had said to you that you're not that damn unique and that's mm -hmm. true and here's what i have learned in recovery and we'll see if that if you agree with this one of the things that i learned when i came into recovery was that my perception of people that were in recovery was wrong i i had mm -hmm. the perception like many do that you know drug addicts alcoholics people that have these these issues are poor they are homeless. They are, you know, dregs of society. That was kind of the stereotype that I had. But when I got into uh, recovery, and actually it started when I was in treatment. It was even before I got into long-term recovery. Um, one of the things that really surprised me was when I went to my treatment center, how many, like, truly talented people were there? I met some of the smartest, most talented, funny uh, well read. I, I remember where I was, where I went through treatment. We would sit around. Um, you were assigned to a table, so breakfast, lunch, and dinner. You were with, with the great, same group of of guys, and 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 we would get into political discussions. We would get into discussion about discussions about art, about music. I mean, name it, name a topic, and and I was just just the breadth of information that these guys possessed was stunning to me. Many of whom were very very successful people, and um, there were a few people that I I thought were professional musicians, but they weren't. They were just people that played. But I was, but they were so good at what they did. And I realized that there was so much talent there, and that was something that that hit me and stuck with me. And what I realized. In time, and, and those that have been in recovery for a while, but if you're not in recovery, you need to know this, that addiction is an equal opportunity destroyer. Mm -hmm. It does not care who you are. It doesn't care what color you are, what sex you are, what sexual orientation you have, what nationality you are. It doesn't matter. It will destroy you. And that is, you know, so this is for all kinds of, of people. And if you are, and, I, and, and frankly, David, and maybe you've run into this as well, I find some of the most difficult people to work with and to get to understand recovery concepts are successful people. Because part of this is you need to understand that you are powerless over your addiction and it will destroy you and you're not going to beat it. This is like the only battle where you win the battle by surrendering to it. And that's a hard thing to do for people that are successful. You know, people like yourself, people like me, um, it was hard. It was hard to accept that because I think I can beat anything, you know. And so um, has that been your experience? Have you run into that with people? Yeah, for sure. I, I think I think a couple things to speak to what you talked about there. I, you know, yeah, the more you try to fight it, the more, mm, another, another great saying that my uh, psychologist said to me, she said, Dave, people will like you a lot more if you try not to be so clever. So, <laughs> you know, again, I, I find the more clever we try to be with the addiction, the more we try to talk our way around it, to beat it intellectually, right? Uh, it just doesn't work. You just have to say, no, this is what it is. It's a very, very significant thing. And I just have to give myself over to this power that it has over to me and, and really do the, do the key work to step back and say, yeah, there's some basic things that I need to do to get past this. Mm -hmm. Okay. You know, I can't do this by myself. I, I want to speak 
you know, you talk about that, that feeling of, you know, being in the treatment facility and, and looking around and I'll share a little story. Um, you know, when I was flying out, uh, you know, where I went was off the a place called Sunshine Coast Health, Coast Health Center in Powell River, BC. And I remember flying there. I had to fly to Vancouver from Edmonton first and then take a little puddle jumper from Vancouver over to there. And I remember being on a plane, just terrified, terrified flying out to this, you know, addictions facility, right? I'm like, no, come on. Just like you said, who am I going to see there? There's going to be all these degenerates there and stuff like that walking around. That's what I was thinking, Mike. Mm -hmm. And I get off the plane, this little plane. And we get shuttled to this little bus stop and there's me and another guy at this bus stop waiting for the bus to come take us to the center. Okay. Well, thing is, I didn't know this other guy was waiting for it, but I just looked over and this guy just looked like a normal dude, you know, about my age. I'm thinking, okay, well, this guy can't be going there, but he's looking a little disheveled, but whatever. Bus shows up. He jumps on the bus. I jump on the bus. We look at each other right there. That was a key moment just to see someone else that kind of looked like me, right? Mm -hmm. To see someone else that kind of looked like me and, I, and we looked at each other and we're like, are you going where I'm going? I said, yeah. So we show up there. We show up at this place. We get kind of shuttled in and stuff like that. We start doing our stuff and kind of wandering around. And boy, the first day I'm looking, I'm just terrified. I'm like, I don't belong here. What's going on? But then just like you said, we start opening up. I start talking, start going to group. And guess what? Yeah, here's a doctor. Here's a lawyer. Here's a guy from the military. Here's a homeless guy. Okay. Here's, here's a rock star. Here's this, here's that. And there's just a bunch of men. And pretty soon I start realizing, holy man, just like you said, this disease does not discriminate. It doesn't care who you are. If mm -hmm. you can't figure out yourself who you are and what's important to you, that's when it attacks, right? So just like you said, I, it was just, it was so freeing. To be honest with you, I think that was of most of just about everything in recovery is just realizing that I was not alone anymore. Okay. And then when my psychologist said what she said, you know, a few months down the road, it just kind of reinforced that. But just to be around a spot where, yeah, this, this disease doesn't matter who you are. If you succumb to it, if you let it take your life, it will take your life. It doesn't care. Right. You it's, know? it's, I, I always tell people that. The progression of addiction is just that. It gets worse over a period of time. And if if you don't take anything away, else away from today's discussion is this. If you are listening to us right now and you are suffering from what we are talking about, it gets worse over a period of time. It does not get better. And what happens is it will result in your death. But before you get there, it will take everything that you hold dear and everyone and everything that you hold dear, and then and then you'll die from it. Um, but the good news is that there is a solution to addiction, and that is to put it into remission. And this is the only known disease, really, that that you can put into remission by just doing certain things. And and first and foremost, that is not drinking and drugging. Um, I don't get drunk as long as I. And that's a line that I used to hear quite a bit: is if I don't drink, I can't get drunk. And and also, if I don't put alcohol, in my case, being alcohol being the presenting problem, is I don't as long as I don't put alcohol into my system, then I don't that start that craving. That craving 
that occurs in alcoholics that we know actually does not occur in non-alcoholics. That 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 craving. You may enjoy the feeling of it, but for me and people like me, it's worse than that. It's not just that I enjoy the feeling, but then it starts this craving that doesn't exist in non-alcoholics. And after you detox and after you go through treatment, and that that is physiologically removed from your body, um, that does not start. That process does not start again as long as I don't put it into my my body. And um, there are people out there uh, that have answers and can help, and they, because they've done it, they've done it successfully. And you're at nine years; I'm at uh, a little over nine years myself. And and it can be done. You know, how do I know it can be done? Because I've done it, and you've done it, and and that's a central message that we have. Yeah. So let's do this. I'm because I've got some questions for you. If you will stick around with us, you want to stick around and answer some questions. Absolutely. You didn't know there was going to be a test today, did you? Well, that's all good. I'm ready to go. Yeah, I think you're prepared for this test. So this episode is sponsored by FHE Health. FHE Health has been providing life-changing behavioral health services for more than 20 years. They treat substance abuse and mental health disorders in an individualized and comprehensive approach, recognizing the specialized treatment needs of the first responder community. They've created Shatterproof a dedicated program for law enforcement, fire rescue, and similar communities to receive treatment among peers. They're experienced in providing privacy and working with unions and employment. FHE Health is committed to providing the best care experience for our patients, for their families, and for our community. Learn more at FHEHealth.com. Now, David, mm-hmm. you um, have a lot of things in common with me that uh, I didn't even know that we had in common until you came on to this podcast and we talked about it. When did you say that you were 70 pounds heavier than you are now? I, I was. Um, yeah, I was I was 70 pounds heavier. I, I was a mess. Okay. You know, obviously drinking too much and stuff like that, but 70 yeah. pounds heavier, all that stuff. And, you know, yeah, no, I'm just I was totally out of shape. I was a mess. Yeah. Well, the reason I asked that is because uh, you had mentioned to me earlier, and for the for the listeners that haven't heard it, I actually did a podcast on on this program for uh, how I became a spin instructor, uh, spin being a stationary bike in, instructor. And uh, David, I know you heard that podcast, and that was uh, something that I did, and I did spinning, cycling, because I was too heavy to begin running. Um, just, just in a nutshell, what had happened was in my addiction, I had, I too had gained between 60 and 70 pounds. And you know, David, here's the funny thing is it might've been more than that. I really don't know. Mm. I got to a certain point, maybe you can relate to this where I got so heavy. I didn't really want to know how much I weighed. So mm-hmm. I stopped counting after a while. So it might've been more than that. But the point being is that I went to cycling because I, my body wouldn't handle the running. So I started cycling, and that that started uh, me into my fitness journey and lost all of that weight. So um, the reason why I wanted to ask you that is because fitness became part of my recovery. And like I said, I did a whole podcast on that that journey. But tell us a little bit about yours, because it sounds like you know your addiction took you to the point to where your health was suffering quite a bit. So you incorporated it, obviously, and I'm and I've seen a picture of you. You look like a very fit guy. So something happened in there. Tell us a bit about that. <laughs> well, I think it was the awakening, and I think to answer that, I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna step back just a second because it was interesting. My addiction, yeah, was alcohol, but it was also work. Right. So I was 100 percent addicted to work behaviorally. Um, and I just want to I just want to talk quickly about 
you know, these, this, this thing that I saw on Friday, it just kind of popped in my head as you talked about this. There was these 13 Goldman Sachs analysts that came up with mm. this little uh, expose on Friday, okay? And they talk about, um, and I'll, I'll, I'll circle this all in. I'll try to anyways. You might have to get me back on track. But they talk about how many hours they're expected to work. These guys are, are first-year analysts. They're fresh out of business school. And there was a couple quotes in this New York Times article that I just thought was amazing. Uh, just blew me away, actually. And I think it really leans into this. And here's a couple of the quotes. Among other things, the analyst said that 80 hours per week should be the limit of how much they're expected to work. Expected to work 80 the limit. hours. <laughs> the, the limit. limit. Okay. But, and, the, and these guys were working like 120. They weren't showering. They were working like 120 hours per week. No physical exercise, nothing. Like, come on. Okay. And then this other one really blew my blew me away. It is in truth the pact that employees, the pact, Mike, it is in truth the pact that employees make with employers in exchange for lots of money. I'm like, holy man, are they signing this in blood with a devil? Like, I, I don't know. Like, it just seemed absolutely crazy. And I'm looking at that. What helped me lose my weight? And I come back to this was tapping into what does success really look like for me? Okay. Overall success. And I remember having these conversations like in the center, I remember, you know, going away from my treatment. I remember falling back in love with exercise and doing all this stuff. And that was great. I always loved exercise, but what got in the way of that, Mike, what do you think it was? What got in the way of all my exercise? Your addiction. 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 Yeah. Addiction. Plural. Exactly. Plural. Yeah. Plural. So there was the addiction of thinking I was lost and I was this person that had to work this amount of hours, which led to me numbing out the alcohol. Okay. And I think taking that step back to realize, no, I don't have to be that. I don't have to, you know, these analysts, I think about it, you know, working 120 hours per week for the chase of cash. So one day they can be happy one day. Well, Will that day ever come, Mike, for a lot of these guys? I you often, know? David, I always ask people this, and, and maybe you do the same, is because I, I see that and people, they go, well, someday, someday I'm going to retire. Someday, someday I'll be really happy. And I always ask people, I say, um, what, what day and time are you going to die? And that seems like a morbid question, but it's a very real question. Tell, tell me, do you know the day and time that you're going to die? And the answer no. to that obviously is no. And I said, so actually you have no certainty that this time tomorrow you're going to be alive, do you? Well, the answer to that is no, because none of us know the future. Well then, so what are you waiting on? Why, why are you waiting years to enjoy your life? Why are you waiting until uh, your retirement to enjoy life? You don't know how long you're going to live. You need to start doing you know, if you if you and if you hike to enjoy life, if you play music, if you exercise, whatever, um, spending time with mm -hmm. your kids. You know what? I'll spend time with my kids when I get that promotion or and I, I make mm -hmm. that money. Hey, you don't know if you're going to mm -hmm. be here. I I highly highly suggest you start your living your life today because you don't know. Right now, every day yeah. is not a guarantee, folks. It's not a guarantee. One well, is it's no guarantee that if you don't. You know, I was talking to a guy from my group. Yesterday, it's like, yeah, okay, I'm 52 years old. I've got all the money in the world, but guess what? Everything else is gone because I didn't have the time. This was a guy that spent that amount of time working. Everything else is gone. His health is gone. His family's gone because they just didn't wait around for him. One day didn't come for them, right? Mm -hmm. They were done waiting. And we sign on to these things with what this, mm, I don't know. I think we have a perverted view of what success is here in North America. Right. Yeah, and, and not, that was certainly I, the case with me. It, it really mm, was. I mm. 
when I in my career, uh, you know, my career was not about money. I mean, you don't you don't go into police work, military, and FBI like I did to to make money. You do it because it and and actually in some respects it's as bad if not worse to be honest with you because the kind of work I was involved in we didn't even really look at it as being a job we looked at it as a, as a vocation um, you know you become an FBI agent it's it, it you become that you become that identity you become it, it is who you are I, I was never Mike to be honest with you in fact when I was in treatment to be honest with you I would be in a group of people and and this is when it really hit me how my profession other people looked at it and how I looked at it was I remember I would be in a group of people and it'd be like, hey, that's Steve, that's John, that's Bob, this is Charlie, and this is Mike, the FBI agent. I, I mean, th- that's mm. how people would introduce me. And I began to sort of resent it, to be honest with you, because by the time I got into recovery, I realized that, no, I'm, I'm just Mike. You know, I'm, I'm a per- this is my job. You know, it is my job, but it's my job. But I never treated it. But I think prior to that, it goes along with what you're saying in this article. It was more than a job. It became my being. It became mm-hmm. my end all. It became my religion. It became my obsession. And and I was expected to be a certain way. And, and I expected to be a certain way. And that started to eat me up after a while. And thank goodness, you know, that now I'm in recovery, I've been able to separate. No, that's just a thing that I do. And and now I'm retired from that, and so now I'm I'm back to just be like the free. I I feel free now because I mm. I I now have. Uh, I'm not saying it's perfect. I I'm not saying I have found myself, but I'm much closer. I, I can tell you this, I, and I think Dave, you're the same way. I am much closer to realizing who Mike is. I mean, the real person. Well, you, you know, and you're doing the work. You know, you listen to it. I listen to you talk about it, and we have so much in common when mm-hmm. when we're talking about this. And I I think about these Goldman Sachs people that. You know they're 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 in there and they're waiting seven years to make this number so that they can do this. Well, the problem is after seven years of behavioral, you know, of, of burning that into your brain that you work 120 hours per week, not having any identity outside of that, it's going to be pretty tough to give that up because your ego has been doing push-ups massively, telling you this is who you are. Mm-hmm. And I think the terror, I think the terror for myself, speaking to my story, I was terrified. I was terrified when I realized I was no longer Dave, the business owner. Mike, I was terrified. Well, I would, you know what? I have to confess, and this is in recovery, by the way. And I'm talking about Mm -hmm. in recovery when I retired. I have to Mm -hmm. admit that about a week, I think it took a couple of weeks. And then one day I woke up and I said, I'm not who I've been for the last, you know, Mm -hmm. between the military police and FBI for 30 years. And and Mm -hmm. I, I, I have never, I had never known another way of life. And now I woke up and I'm like, Whoa, it's all changed. And that sounds like what happened to you. It's all different now. It's all different and terrifying. Mm-hmm. And I thought I was the only one going through that again, you know, and that's my ego thinking I'm so special, so special. You know what I mean? That you're the only one going through this. And then in fact, you know, you take a look, you get your head up for a little bit, get my head out of my proverbial butt, right? Mm-hmm. And take a look around at the other people doing the work. And I'll tell you what. I wouldn't trade where I am now for anything. I would never go back. I've been offered the positions where I can go in and I could just walk back into my old life if I want to, right? I could. Mm -hmm. I just, there's just too much. I I can see it now so clearly. And it's, you know, if I had a message for those, those, uh, for anyone wondering, you know, should I be, should I be working 120 hours a week to get the cash so I can eventually live? Oh boy. Just I, everybody has their own path. Whatever's right for you is right for you. And at the same time, what is right for you? There, there's a 
there's a Buddhist saying that I, I, lo I love, uh, and it's like, oh, how does it go again? Mm. The problem isn't that you want it all, or the problem isn't that you want too much. The problem is that you don't want it all. The question is, what is your all? And I, I think we're so focused to think, well, I've got to have this, this. No, 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 no. It, do you want do you want to have a relationship with your family? Do you want to have conversations with people? Do you want to learn? You know, yeah, we have to have money to survive and move forward. Sure. And and if if making money and doing all this, having a big business is what you want, that's fine too as well. I don't think it all has to be an either or. I think a lot of this can be both and. And if we open up to, you know, who we are truly, truly outside of that identity with work, boy, imagine imagine showing up to work and even if you own the big business and imagine you show up now and you're really grounded in the fact that yeah i i, I get a lot of satisfaction out of work but i also get a lot of satisfaction out of running and and, and uh, playing with my dogs and spending time with my family and you show up at that place of work and you show up with that attitude well now aren't you going to be a little bit in a better position to get out of your own way and help the smart people around you help you run the business I've seen it. I've lived it. Mm -hmm. Where if you don't know who you are, your ego is going to get in the way of letting people help you because you need the business to need you because you're absolutely terrified. If it doesn't need you, you're not required. And you're just not hmm, valued anymore. So yeah. if all your value comes from work. It's like, it, it, it's a challenge. And I, I'm hearing you talk about it too, as well, like in a role like you had with the FBI and doing all this stuff, just being so entrenched in this identity. We can get lost, can't we, Mike? Oh, ab absolutely. You can get absolutely lost. And by the way, uh, you and I are in recovery, but this applies to everybody. Mm. It's it's not just, you know, you don't have to be suffering from a substance use disorder to experience. You know, I yeah, one of the things that I... Uh, discovered when I got into recovery was I looked around and I thought to myself, you know what? Everybody here needs to be in recovery, not just uh, not just the addicts. I think like my whole office here, but the office I was, I was like, all you guys need to be in recovery because <laughs> they would all be suffering from the same thing. And I'm like, you know, you're taking this job too serious. I mean, it is a serious job. We did, you know, but you need sure. to take time for you. But, and, and you find, you know, and you've worked with people that you look at and you go, look, I, when you re when this job's over for you, I don't know what you're going to do with yourself because you seem to be incapable of doing anything else. And that's not a pretty sight to see. That's actually kind of sad, I think. So Scary, it affects everybody. Sad. Mm -hmm. it is. Well, it's huge. And you talk about that. And I love what you said there too as well. And I, I've got a movement moving towards this. I think, just like you said, I wish – I wish every every person could get a taste of what we learn in recovery. You mm -hmm. know, I take a look at, you know, uh, this movement that we can move towards as, you know, just, just realizing that these things, these tools, it's almost like a basic training. I think we need how to live life. Mm -hmm. I think we're sorely missing that right now. And, uh, you know, I, I'm making it my mission to to bring that to especially more men to break down the the walls of toxic masculinity that thinks, you know, I just need to, you know, put on a brave face and move forward. Well, you need to do the work for sure. For sure you need to do the work. But being a little vulnerable like we're being on this podcast here right now, boy, that's as important as anything else, isn't it, Mike? It is. And and most of us are and not to generalize here, but I'm I'm just basing it on my experience. I think most men find that difficult. Uh men in certain professions find that extremely difficult. 
And I know the world that I came from, um, you do not show weakness at all. And, you know, sounds great and it's good on the job, but if you are suffering the way that we were suffering when it comes to an addiction, that's a a death sentence because uh, until I was able to make myself vulnerable and ask for help and, and expose myself a bit, I was never able to get well. And, you know, there's just certain segments of our society where it's very, very difficult to do that. But I'm telling you that that is the the answer. And you see people do that. And I know you've seen it. You've you've seen people that are successful. And what I like about what you're doing, and and hopefully I'm contributing to this this whole effort, this movement, is that we are trying to highlight, and I try to do that on this program, highlight people that are successful, people that are by any stretch of the imagination in the community looked at as being strong people, strong personalities, successful personalities, but yet they suffer from addiction and are in recovery. And these are not weak people. These are strong people, and they set that example for everyone that's out there. Because I do think that there has been a a stereotype and a stigma in this society, again, that people that suffer from addiction are uh, weak-minded, weak-willed. They they can't suck it up. They can't just toughen yourself up. No, it has nothing to do with that. And to see people like yourself come on the show and talk about this um, highlights the fact that, no, this affects everybody but again, there is, and that's what we always want to do. We always want to point to the solution. We, once we figure mm-hmm. out what the problem is, we can figure mm-hmm. out the problem. Like if you come in to see me in my office or the people that you're <clears> coaching, <throat> yeah, I can within five minutes, I know it. Well, first of all, the fact that you came to see me, I know what the problem is when you came in. Mm-hmm. And I don't need to hear your whole history. I, you know, don't impress me with your drinking. Trust me, I was drinking on a professional level. There's no, <laughs> I'm not impressed by that. Uh, but, but I will tell you this. That, you know, once I, we figure out what the problem is, what we need to do is focus on the solution to that problem. Mm-hmm. And I know that's the work that you're doing now in the writing that you're doing. And tell us a little bit about that. You know, some of the, the projects that you're working on right now. You do coaching. And, and what are some of the other things that you're working on right now to help people? Yeah, so there's the coaching for sure. I mean, it all it all just kind of focuses around this goal of helping 10,000 men liberate themselves from these emotional prisons to become true heroic leaders of their own change. And and really, there's there's a whole bunch of different things kind of going on with that. And, you know, if you, if you ever meet me, I'm fairly ground at the same time when I get passionate about like this, stuff like this, there's a, a lot of things going on. So uh, some of the things I have on the go, I just launched a book. Um, mm, outstanding. Uh, so... Yeah. So the book, its name is called numb, numb with a question mark. So kind of asking people, you know, are you numb right now? And it's subtitle is break old habits, escape the rat race and live your ideal life. So there's that. And then following up the book, there's an online course that helps you really step back to figure out, you know, what is your true definition of success? Taking that step back that so few of us do. Okay. Mm -hmm. So there's that there's support groups I'm, I'm leading. Um, I've got, uh, uh, two support groups that I lead during the week. And then I've got another one I've kickstarted in something called Today's Real Man Tribe. Okay. And Today's Real Man Tribe is a new movement. And it's really that 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 um, that change of pace where men can come together so we can really change the conversation. The conversation, these dialogues between a man and his family, between his spouse, his coworkers, his friends, and his peers. And more importantly, to change the conversation between men and themselves so that we can realize that we're not alone, that we can reach out for support, and we can really be step into this um, powerful creator that we've been meant to be. There's no, it's not about toxic masculinity at all. It's the it's the the counter to that. It's all about getting in touch with really 
the deeper work we need to do and find a safe space where men can be men and just talk about these things that trouble them, to let the weight of the world down on their shoulders a bit. And then the other thing that I'm working on right now is <laughs> I wrote the first book and I always said going through the first book, Mike, I would never do it again. It's a process. <laughs> I, I hear a lot of people it, say that. Yeah, it, it's a process, but I'll yeah. tell you what, it was so emotionally freeing to put my story out there in the world and to let other people see that, you know, we can share, we can move forward powerfully. I said, you know, there's, there's this today's real man tribe, the thing, it's not just for people in recovery. There's a lot of people in recovery for it. But it's for any man looking for a spot to share a little bit more. And I really want to bring the tools and recovery out to everybody else in the world, every other man in the world, even every other woman, just everybody in the world. But especially I'm focusing around men because there's, it seems to be a little bit underserved because we think we have to do it all ourselves, Mike, right? Mm-hmm. Um, trying to bring this these lessons out. And I, I'm, I've started a second book called You're Not That mm, Damn Unique. Okay. What I wish I would have known before burning out and ending up in rehab. So, oh, you should have of, written that book before that happened to me. I should, you should have had that already. I, you know, I could have saved a lot of trouble for myself if that book had been out. Well, I hear you. And, th- and this book is ultimately a handbook for me. I wrote, and who, who have I wrote these books for, Mike? Well, I, I, greedily, I wrote them for me 10 years ago. Yeah. That's yeah. what I've written these books for, just like you, yeah. you know, us 10 years ago. So, just trying to bring these ideas like gratitude and you know uh, there's a fantastic book I, I love to recommend to everybody called the power of ted around the 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 cartman drama triangle the dreaded drama triangle and helping people go from you talk about the solution helping people go from where they feel victimized and life is happening to them towards everything is here for a reason there's an opportunity in this for me to grow forward we right. are very powerful and resilient as humans okay we can find it. We just need to find and focus on what the outcome truly is that we want. And that allows us to create a little bit of passion about how we see ourselves day to day showing up and to take those baby steps. And that's really from that book, The Power of Ted. That's what it really talks about is, you know, focusing on that outcome, creating that passion for life in, in the now and taking the baby steps forward. Baby steps, man, day by day. Yeah, and you know, uh, and along with that, you just made me think of something that I did, and this sounds really silly, I I know it does, but I'm telling you, it it worked for me, and that's all we can do. This whole podcast is about, I just, you know, as an old friend of mine, um, uh, Jim Money, who's been on the podcast, has said before, I'm not here to impress or depress, I'm just here to express. I love that. I'm not here to impress Mm. or depress, I'm just here to express. I just express what I've done and what's worked for me, because, you know, you, you talk about, you know, expectations, and I remember, you know, I listen in my career, I, you want to talk about egos in a workplace. You know, you you didn't get hired to work where I worked unless you had a type triple A personality. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, if you had a type A personality, you were the weakling in the group. <laughs> mm-hmm. And I think that was me. And, uh, and so very, but you put it and that sounds great until you put all these people in one room and then it, it's just right. a recipe for disaster. And I remember, um, you know, I know in my own um, when I started going, peeling back the layers of the onion to figure out why, why I did what I did and why I felt the way that was, I, I think it was just, I didn't like all the ego. I didn't like the nastiness. I didn't like the, uh, constant, you know, just what comes along with working with type AAA personalities. And I finally got it in my mind, 
you know, because I was talking to a sponsor one time, and I was talking about this, and my sponsor said, well, um, okay, so if these people are jerks, and you go into work every day, um, has it ever been, are you ever going to work, and people are not jerks, and the answer was no, and he said, well, okay, well, you just, hey, Mike, it's business, don't take it personal, it's not personal, it's just Mm -hmm. business, when you go to work, it's business, their job is to be jerks, and your job is to not be a jerk, the problem is, is that you keep going to work every day thinking people aren't going to be jerks, and then you get there and the, you're disappointed when they are. Mm. Well, if you mm. just go in expecting it and not taking it personally and saying, that's your job. Your job is to be a jerk. And, uh, you know, it's funny that it's subtle, but that kind of changed my whole mindset. That when I went mm-hmm. into work and, and, and somebody wasn't a jerk or it was a good day, then, you see, I had changed my bar of expectations. And again, subtle thing, but it really helped me in the long run. And there's very, very little. And I'm going to tell you something. I've had harder days in recovery, much harder Mm. days in recovery than I ever had when I was drinking. But yet my mindset, uh, but I'm not near as affected negatively by those days because of those little changes in my thinking. And it sounds a bit like what you're talking about. Oh, yeah. Mindset is everything. And I, I... You know, there's, I think, the uh, Stockdale paradox. I mean, just just holding hope for something changing isn't enough. You need to confront the brutal facts of what's going on right now. And if it is what it is, it is what it is. Be there and take the baby steps forward. Yeah, there's um, just hope upon hope. Hope isn't enough, is it, Mike? No, it's not. We have to live in the present. And you talked about that, Mm -hmm. living in the present and doing what we can right now and doing that next right thing. And doing that next right thing. Now, you had talked um, earlier about um, 12-step groups and mm-hmm. and how the approach that you take and you work with people. Because I think you've run into something that I've run into, too. Now, I uh, again, I, we don't promote groups here, but I am, I'm, I'm just going to confess that I am a 12-step guy. Okay? Mm-hmm. But I know that, uh, you know, as I've been around recovery that the twelve-step approach is there. That you have once. I've noticed there's two big groups. There's uh, well, three. There's the groups people that are very much into twelve steps, like I am. But then you have people that think it's too religious and they don't want any anything to do with religion. And then you have the other group, ironically, which is it's not religious enough. And so mm-hmm. it's kind of interesting to to see how people look at this. And so you and I were talking earlier about this that you have some opinions on this, and and that's why you kind of uh, are doing the work that you're doing is to change it. So you're not against twelve step programs, but you mm-hmm. kind of have a, a little different twist. And you tell us a little bit about that. Sure. Yeah, I think there's tons of good stuff in the the twelve step program. I mean, it's all about a spiritual journey as you kind of unravel the onion and, and move forward um and for a lot of people that are very process driven it, it, it's fantastic there's a lot of good stuff there you know uh, at the end of the day i think a lot of people do have well not a lot of people some people they they read the word god in 12 step and they immediately associate you know i gotta give everything else to somebody else well okay gotta give it up to somebody else i gotta give up all my you know power to somebody else and uh, yeah i mean Again, a lot of the 12-step groups, you go into there and it's not necessarily the way I read it. You know, the way I read it is, what is that bigger thing? And even from my point of view, like with the work that I really do with people, helping them step back and figure out what is what is true success to you, that's partially helping you get beyond just yourself, you know, beyond just, oh, I want to make the money just so I can enjoy myself. Okay, well, why? 
Well, maybe because I want to have a good family life. Okay, well, what's important there? Well, maybe I want to have, you know, I, I, I want to learn and grow and I want to do this. Maybe I want to find my own spirituality in nature. Like whatever it is, there still is something bigger there than just you. And once you can get beyond just thinking about yourself and think about what this bigger thing really is, whatever your definition is, it doesn't matter. Just what's your definition of that bigger thing? It doesn't have to be, you know, we're not all going out there to save the whales and stuff like that. But if it's just a life well lived, that doesn't take anything away from anyone else. And in fact, in fact, with your tiny little grain of sand yourself, just making yourself that best little grain of sand you can be, are you not in turn making that beach just a little bit brighter? And I think just that in itself is a, a very admirable thing to move towards. So, you know, I think a lot of people get stuck on the God thing and the 12-step stuff. Uh, you know, I think one of the biggest things that 12-step has that I 100% agree with is community. And that just by itself is helping you get beyond you. You know, there's a a story, this, this you know, about this, this bigger purpose, like this group aspect of it. And, you know... It was like this. I was talking to a guy again, another guy from support last week. And he was talking about, we talk about this bigger thing. And it's, it's, it's kind of interesting. It's even these bigger realizations we have that there's something more at play here. And this guy was um, talking to a neighbor. Okay. Um, this neighbor, he hadn't, he hadn't talked to him very much. Uh, you know, he lived in the city and this neighbor's 94 years old. And he went up to him, him and his wife were out for a walk and they ran to this neighbor and they just kind of said, hey, how you doing? And the guy said, you know what? I'm just not doing very good. I'm kind of lonely and kind of depressed. And they're like, oh, that's that's too bad. And the guy that I'm supporting, he didn't quite know what to say, but his wife kind of started talking to this guy. And through the conversation, the guy said, well, you know what? I, I had to I had to put my wife in, in a care home this last week. She's 92 and I just couldn't take care of her. And he goes on to talk how freely, he's just freely giving of this information. Okay. And you know, the conversation kind of goes on a little bit, Mike, and eventually it comes back to this guy saying to, to um, my guy there, he says, you know, in the past, a lot of people had come to me for counsel in my 94 years, and I realized I maybe hadn't did it very well, you know, realizing now that people experience what I'm going through, having to put someone in a care home, it sure makes a big difference uh, in terms of what I, how I see other people's pain now. And to me, that bigger thing that's at play there, whether it's 12 step, whether it's uh, the groups that I lead or whatever it might be, when you have the freedom just to share what's going on within you and give people that gift of how you're hurting or how you might be suffering, to me, that kind of starts touching in that divine that we all have in us where we want to connect to something a little bit more than us. Yeah. You know, and that story just kind of floored me this week. Where he's just like, holy, my guy's just like, he was floored. He was like, I, I couldn't, you know, and he's doing all this work. He's like, I think he's, my guy's like just about two years into recovery right now. And he's really challenged with emotions, but just, you could just sense it. That touching that emotion that he told about the 94 year old and his wife's story, just even touching that, there's just, there's something at play here, Mike. And, you know, whatever you believe, even if you just believe in the community that you're with, boy, that, that's bigger than you right off the bat. Yeah, right? and it comes down to just, I, I put it this way, and, and if I could give one parting advice today, you know, for me, and then Dave will close it out with you, um, is just have a willingness. Chances are, if you're listening to this podcast, you've tried everything else. 
chances are, if you are listening to this podcast, it, uh, you need help or you are in recovery or you know someone that needs to hear this podcast. And whatever's brought you here is not working. And chances are you've tried a lot of other things that aren't working. And I know that when I started having the willingness to even just listen or even try some of the things that David is talking about, it, when I had that willingness, things got better. Uh, remember, remember, if it doesn't work for you, if your life does not get better, you can always go back to where you were. But I think what you're going to find is that if you follow the principles that we're talking about and you take some of the advice that David's talking about, you're going to find that your life gets exponentially better. That's just my opinion. Dave, go ahead and uh, close, close us out. Give us some parting thoughts and make sure the listeners know how they can get hold of you once again. Yeah, you betcha. No, I love that. I mean, your life can get exponentially better and you can always go back, you know, um, if that's what you choose to do. You know, for me, a couple of takeaways what I'd love to leave you with is I remember again coming back to this. I keep talking about this therapist, but, you know, after she said, Dave, you're not that unique and stuff like that, we started the real work then. And it's like, well, what do you want? And I, I couldn't I couldn't piece it all together, but I started to piece together a couple pieces of what I really wanted and a couple of words that started to lean towards what my true definition of success is are words like peace and connection. And over time, I kept building on that and building on that. And it takes work. It takes work to actually uncover what your values are in recovery and to really be able to give a, a definition. And it's a work in progress. I think I'm going to be working on this stuff the rest of my life, Mike. Oh, yeah. And what oh, yeah. a wonderful Absolutely. amount of work to do, right? Yeah. So, you know, figure out what your true definition of success is, your true definition of success, what floats your boat. And even if it starts with just a couple of words, start with that and start taking baby steps towards those and see what will happen. And lastly do the darn work. You've got to do it. You know, for me, this is just me. What works for me is I have a routine every morning that I follow. You know, I'm very diligent. I make sure I do my meditation, my push-ups, my planks. You know, I, I, I make sure I, I get my workouts in. I get that, uh, that physical release. I eat decent. I do all these things. I eat my spinach. I drink my water. Okay. <laughs> I do that work. And then the other work I do is I do the deeper stuff. And if you need, you know, go see a therapist, go for treatment. And if you're listening to this and you're not in a recovery program right now, take those first steps. It's okay. Going to see a therapist or whatever, it's all good. We've all got baggage or many of us have baggage, I should say. And when you can finally put it down, when you can finally put that stuff down, boy, is it ever nice. You know, it just, it's like, I even just feel it right now. My shoulders just relax as I think about putting stuff down. So that that's my my parting advice and where people can grab, find me is, you know, check out uh, my website, davesinclair.ca. And if you're looking, if you're a man looking to find other like-minded men to talk about topics like this and really challenge yourself, go to davesinclair.ca forward slash stays dash real dash man dash tribe and check us out. Find my book. It talks about a lot of this stuff on Amazon, numb with a question mark, break old habits, escape the rat race and live your ideal life. That's where you can find me. So, man, that's that's, that's fantastic. And Dave, I, I really appreciate. It. You know, you know something, Dave. You're my mm -hmm. new favorite Canadian. You're my new favorite <laughs> Canadian. I, I like it. Well, it's good. I, I would say, Mike, you're my 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 favorite my favorite podcast. Um, I don't know. 
this has just been a fantastic podcast. I was trying to come up with something clever. And, I, I was trying to come up with something clever, and then I heard my psychologist say, "Just don't be clever, Dave." Uh, you know, I, I'm a big Rush fan. You know, uh, the rock band Rush. Mm, oh, yes. They are Canadian. Yeah. Getty Lee. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. My my favorite. Um, my favorite. Uh, and I I always say that. And every time I hear a, a when I teach I teach spin classes, as you know, mm-hmm. and sometimes I'll play a Rush song, and I always say, "These are my favorite Canadians." Well, I'm sorry, Getty Lee and the boys, but uh, <laughs> I think you're on a second now. David Sinclair is my favorite Canadian. Uh, <laughs> I love it. You know? I love it. What's your favorite Rush song? I got to ask you. What's your favorite Rush song? I am a if big fan was. of Tom Sawyer. Uh, very good. Song. Oh, you know yeah. what? Okay. So hold on now. Hold on now. Let me, let me caveat that because Rush is a lot of like a lot of groups. So there was a little lineup change, you know, because you have like Van Halen was, you know, uh, David Lee Roth and then Sammy, Sammy Hagar. And, and so it's like two periods. Um, now, there was a period early on. Uh, Rush had a different drummer, right? And um, it, during that period, they had a song called Working Man. Do you remember Working Man? Oh, that's a great song. Oh, yeah. I love yeah. it. But that was kind of a different era because they changed the lineup a bit. So I have Working Man, uh, first part, and then um, uh, Tom Sawyer, I would say. How about yourself? You got a favorite song? Yeah, I, I like Working Man. I like Subdivisions a lot. Yeah, so, oh, very good. Um, very good. You know, um, all good stuff. I love music. And I'll tell you what. Last, last parting words for me today is find the things that really float your boat and come back to them. I, I got mm-hmm. disconnected from music. Same when here. I was same in therapy. Here. Yeah. When I was in therapy, I did this thing called music therapy where I ran in the treadmill and there was this glass mirror in front of me, which would look out towards the ocean, but I would, I'd be running like at four in the morning or something like that. And they would reflect back to me. I'd be able to look at the mirror or it wasn't a mirror. It was a window. I'd be on the treadmill, listening to music that used to kind of trigger me. And I turned the music around. So that it became empowering. So I, I I flipped the switch on my, you know, I flipped my script by, you know, just running and sweating and saying, no, there was one song by Eminem, No Love. Yeah. And oh, yeah. I, th- I think I used to sing that to myself. There was no love for me. And I, I flipped that switch to say, no, there's no love for that attitude anymore. You know, yeah. that, that's got to go. You know? And, you know, Dave, you and I have so much in common, the fitness, the music. I'm a big, big, big music uh, fan. I love playing music. And folks, those that were plug and recovery here, those were things I all gave up in my addiction. Mm-hmm. And I'm back into it. I'm sitting here, Dave, as we're talking, I'm staring at my guitar of collections, I, uh, my guitar collection. I can't play any of them, but I have them. Uh, they're nice to look at. <laughs> But I, no, I'm trying to learn. I'm trying to learn the guitars. But right. those are the things that we're free to, you know what? When you get into recovery, folks, um, the one thing I can't do is drink. But but it, mm. it, it means that it has opened up the doors for me to do everything else. Everything else. Uh, you can do it. it. The sky's the limit. And so, man, I really everything. enjoyed talking with you, Dave. Really, really enjoyed it a lot. And I uh, mm-hmm. hope you did too. And folks, reach out to Dave mm-hmm. and uh, we'll close out with, uh, you know, once again, we're going to talk about how this episode is sponsored by FHE Health. Good folks down there. And they're in Florida, which is kind of like Canada. And Dave, do you know why it's like Canada? Why is that? Because everybody seems to retire in Canada and then they all move mm-hmm. to, to uh, people from New York and Canada then move down to Florida. And uh, uh, it's a great place where I grew up, actually. So um, according to SAMHSA, first responders are 30% more likely to develop behavioral health conditions like PTSD. FHE Health specializes in getting first responders better and cleared for duty. So find out more at FHEHealth.com. That's FHEHealth.com. So uh, once again, guys, as I'd like to say, I I don't represent any group. And I know we're talking about a lot of groups here, but we don't represent them. That's that's the important thing for you guys to remember. Um, You know, we don't represent anyone other than ourselves. And we're trying to impart what we've learned in our journey 
so we can help you because that's what we do in recovery is help others as we're helping ourselves. And um, so with that, please visit my Facebook page, which is Recovery is Possible, and my website, which is VanMeterWellnessSolutions.com. Let me know uh, how I'm doing and let me know if there's a topic that you're interested in hearing because I'd love to hear from you. And folks, these podcasts are designed to help people. So please spread it far and wide. Certainly give this to somebody that you think would benefit from this information. There's a lot of people that are suffering out there, particularly during these times of pandemic and shutdowns. A lot of, lot of suffering folks out there. So, and Dave, David Sinclair has a great message to, to pass on to people that need the help. And so with that, folks, we will be seeing you soon. Thank you.